0: What is up, you beautiful fucking people? Listen, I really, really want to know if you are interested in rebranding or repositioning your business if you want to come and fuck with some of the guys who have done it the best, October nineteenth and twentieth at the Self Made Summit here in Charlotte, North Carolina, I have compiled a group of the best micro gym owners who have done exactly that. Started as CrossFit gyms, wanted to break it, become something bigger, something different, something that would make them unique and truly catapult their business. And that's exactly what they did. I have got Metabolic and the founders Brandon and Kirk coming. I've got Alchemy three sixty five with their Founder Mike Jones. I have got Steve Pingerton, who created Vitality Fitness and EvoFit, probably one of the most successful bootcamp versions to ever hit a CrossFit gym scene. And then we've got myself with Urban Movement, Joe Tabaldi, the founder of Flex, and a branding and marketing coach that'll take the ideas in your brain that you can't really put together; they're too abstract. And they will—he will help you figure that out for your business. We're gonna be they're going doing you know large, you know these keynotes, they're gonna be speaking for an hour on on their topics of their specialty and how they did it. They're gonna be getting into small groups with you. You'll be sitting side by side. You could literally touch Brandon at Metabolic or ask Mike Jones at Alchemy, you know, about a creating a class concept that's brand new. You can talk to Steve Pinkerton about building a building, about becoming a landlord. How about you know, creating a boot camp model that is truly unique? I'll be there. You can fuck with me you guys you listen to my stuff though you know me through and through I'm not talking about me but these guys you'll never again probably have a chance to be as close to these guys as you will at this event the self-made summit tickets are available now link is in my Instagram bio go there get signed up hope to see you now let's get into the fucking podcast well, awesome. So, you know, as we go in and kick this thing off, man, you know, and this is my first time doing this, this whole shindig live. So I'm going to just open up this chat feature and as any questions come in, we start filtering them. My thing. And you know, when I think of watching your affiliate cash flow calculator, <laughs> that yeah. video, I kid you yeah. not with no like exaggeration, I probably watched I thing 50 times. I was in college and I was like, I was watching. It says like, this is exactly what it like this. I I'm not ready to open my business yet, but when I do, I have this thing and I'm, I have some numbers behind it. But, um, you know, you know, for the purposes of my podcast, anyone who's listening to this, uh, that is not on the live stream. I have John Gilson, who in my opinion is like the OG of business and mentorship consulting and in content creation around the business side for what I call now the micro gym scene, but it was the CrossFit affiliate scene and that entire explosion that we all had. So, John, for anyone that's you know everyone here live, I'm assuming has a good feel for you, but anyone when I blast this out on the regular traditional podcast, would you just give a little background as to who you are and and what you've done in our industry?
1: Uh, sure. So I found CrossFit. or uh, CrossFit found me in 2005 by reading Men's Journal. They had listed Murph as or CrossFit.com as the number three best fitness website out of 50 in the world and, uh, listed Murph as workouts that only the fittest men on earth could do. And I was like, bullshit, I can do that workout. <laughs> uh, so I was showing a buddy of mine. I was in grad school at the time. So I was showing a friend and he did a little deeper Googling than I did and said, did you know, there's one in Boston. And I ended up at CrossFit Boston as an athlete. Uh, it, they were, I believe number 30 in the world. Uh, and, very soon thereafter, realized that I was on to something really, really special. You know, I was going there like everybody else. I was going to learn what a thruster was and what a kettlebell swing was, and then I was going to go back to Gold's because I was making like 28000 bucks a year, you know, as a bank teller. Uh, and yeah, so so, that was
0: the initial gear? You were initially banking, corporate, that kind of scenario?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I was literally a bank teller, to be okay. I, you know, I was, I was to, I was to corporate America, what the janitor is at GE to the C-suite, you know, uh, but, um, I was in grad school at night for finance and control and, I was at CrossFit Boston, and it became really obvious to me just looking around that it was a great thing, but that uh, Neil, who owned it at the time, and he would say this as well, really didn't know what he was doing on the business side. You know, so I was taking cost accounting and managerial accounting, all these things. And I went to him and I said, dude, I really don't want to work at this bank anymore. Can I be a trainer and run your business? And you don't have to pay me at all until I tell you you can. In other words, I'm going to come into this business and I'm going to make you enough money that you can start stroking me a check. And he said, yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) Which was the easiest conversation, hiring conversation I think I ever had in my life. So I took my level one in October of 06 with Greg uh, Glassman and Nicole Carroll and Dave, basically. Uh, Kelly Moore was there, Greg Amundsen was there. Uh, Yeah, it was was the crew from Santa Cruz because nobody else was doing it at the time. And um, I immediately asked Greg for a job. He said no. I uh, was back at at CrossFit Boston. I was teaching all the AM classes. I was running the place at that point. Neil was paying me, uh, and on Sundays I was taking people out to the park and I was trying to get them to do CrossFit workouts. Really, there at Jamaica Pond because there was no there was no classes. On Sunday, so I invented the again faster portable pull-up bar. I was writing these essays on againfaster.blogspot.com, which are all still up, by the way, uh, which is hilarious. And uh, people saw that online on the fill on the forum. So CrossFit.com used to have a forum. I don't think it, it might exist. I don't know, uh, but people started buying them from me. So I was taking you know, I was shit at business. Evidently, I wasn't thinking too hard. I was taking fifty dollars worth of parts from Home Depot. It's selling it for seventy-five bucks. Uh, You know, online, and that was the start of Again Faster. And Again Faster went through evolutions from May of 06. We started in the exact same month and year as Rogue, and out of my apartment uh, with me and my girlfriend at the time and my friend Patrick. And uh, we started building that company. Patrick had gone to film school and he was waiting tables. And I was like, hey, dude, ditch your Friday night shift, which is like the shift, and I'll pay your rent from my pull up bar money and you make videos. And so Pat filmed me teaching grace, the power, clean and jerk in my, uh, I think five 30 or six 30 AM class at CrossFit Boston. He edited it up. We put it on as the first Mike instructor video. on again, oh, yeah. faster.blogspot.com. And, uh, I got a call literally the next day from CrossFit HQ saying, would you come be a head trainer at a level one in Pittsburgh? And, you know, this is like, you know, completely out of the blue, I'd asked for a job and been told no, you know, prior, but evidently they liked what they saw there editing helps. And, uh, that started my journey on the, on the seminar staff over the next six years. Uh, I taught at about 120 seminars, something like that. At the same time grew again faster from that, that apartment in our first year, I think we did like $175,000 in sales. Uh, to a 12 million dollar multinational I expanded it all over the world over the course of six years uh, continued to teach on seminar staff and you know what we're talking about today Stuart I think is the fact that the mic instructor was a realization that you couldn't get CrossFit instruction online it was that simple yeah. right and then what you saw is the cash flow calculator was The realization that my friends didn't know how to run these businesses as well as I did and so it wasn't really about me being a consultant or or thinking I knew I just knew a little bit more than everybody else it was kind of like hey you really need to be thinking about these things and then we we I think the next really seminal thing we created around business was probably uh, a panel with me and and Ben Bergeron and Rick Martinez a bunch
0: of local like Boston uh, affiliates uh, that got around and talked
1: And Ben Bergeron, and we, we just sat around and I asked them a bunch of questions about starting an affiliate. I got their answers, but instead of just having those answers be our discussion, I asked them questions about their answers. So I got on and I said, Hey, you said this about finding a spot to rent. What did you really mean about XYZ? So we tried to peel the onion back a little bit. Um, I actually still have all of those videos, but you can find them on YouTube. You
0: can find them online. And if any of you guys, as we're talking, you haven't had a chance to look at any of this stuff, I'm going to put when I proper post the, the, this podcast. I'm going to put the links to all of them in there. They're still alive and well. Just going back real quick, your portable pull-up bar. So here's one thing. A lot of people, um, at least my audience know, we're CrossFit affiliate, rebranded, and I changed some things. And aesthetically, I'm really big on telling a story aesthetically when someone walks into the gym. The pull-up rig for me was such this iconic piece of CrossFit equipment. And when I was going and we made a very different model, I needed something different inside of my gym, instead of a 64-foot pull-up rig, which I sold, I have 40 portable hanging pull-up bars <laughs> hanging from there. And people walk in and they're like, what in the fuck is, this? is that a trapeze bar? What is this thing? And it just, it's just another just kind of part of my origin story that ties back to watching your content forever. Um, when I bought them from Rogue, they told me that they ran out of them on Black Friday and then I got to hold of the sales guy, but you didn't really run out of them. Just nobody else has fucking bought these things. You had to like dust them off on the back of the warehouse somewhere. They're like, "Hey, Johnny, some idiots actually buying forty of these. Do we even have forty of them?" Um, but it, it, anyway, just a, an ode to the to the early days. So today, Gilson Consulting, and like you know, obviously you uh, you grew again faster, successfully. You sold it, mm-hmm. that is now known as X Trading Equipment is the company you purchased it from you, correct? In
1: the U.S., in the U.S., yes. Gotcha. Again, again, faster uh i believe australia uk dubai russia um israel are all still running under the original banner okay uh, yeah so you know it, it we truly did we actually propped up somewhere on the order of 10 again fasters okay around the world and they're all independently owned.
0: got it awesome so that happens and then Was there, because then around that time, like you said, your content, your business content was pretty steady for a really long time. And then it was almost like I'd I'd be like, hey, where'd John go? What's John doing these days? We have a mutual friend, Erin, well, it's be Erin Smith now, um, located up here in Charlotte, North Carolina. She owned CrossFit Juice Box. Oh,
1: Um, yeah. She's actually friends with my wife.
0: Yeah, yeah. Correct. And I mean her were talking one day and she mentioned that you guys had a she had a mutual connection with you. I was like, I wonder what John's doing these days. I'd love to one day when I start doing this was 2015. I was like, I, one day I'd love to get him on the podcast. So it's it's really cool to be here. What were you doing during that time after you sold?
1: So I started uh as I was kind of uh moving again faster into the hands of its in-country managers. And uh that that'll be a good story someday, but not today. Um I started really consulting for uh, affiliates in a much stronger way. I put out a free seminar, a free four hour seminar called a BAF project, uh, again, faster project. And uh, I was doing four hours of really everything I distilled about running an affiliate, but really, you know, people would say, Hey, you're saying this is about running an affiliate, but this is really about how to run a business right? Isn't it? And I was like, yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, none of what I'm telling you is about gyms. You know, a lot of what I'm telling you is about how to run a good, solid p driven, data driven, intelligent behavioral psychology run business. And uh, I traveled, I think I did something like I want to say 25 of those free seminars, something like that. And I started doing on-site consulting where I'd fly out to gyms for two days and I'd actually spend two days with ownership and kind of do the triage and first aid kit stuff. And uh, I ended up consulting almost, you know, uh, well, definitely full time in 2015 and 2016. And then I ran into a company called The Whole Life Challenge. And The Whole Life Challenge is a six-week, seven-habit, health and wellness challenge where you track uh, your compliance against nutrition, exercise, mobility, sleeping, hydration, reflection, and mindfulness practices. And I saw this company and I was like, man, this is cool because it's the other 23 hours of the day. And a lot of my clients are having, as I'm sure yours are, have retention problems. I can't keep people. And my basic thesis on keeping people is that if you're actually delivering the value they want, they're going to stay. And if you're not, they aren't, you know, the normal excuse is I ran out of money or I'm moving or something like that. But, the, you know, I think the reality is you're not delivering value. And so I saw the whole life challenge as wow, This is a great way to deliver value in the gym. They actually had a model where they would go into, you know, they would have a team model where you as an affiliate owner, you as a gym owner, a micro gym owner uh, could sign up and have a team and participate in a revenue share, but get your people compliant across all these habits. So. Long story short, I called up Andy Petranek, uh, who founded that company with Michael Stanwick. I uh, also the founder of CrossFit LA. And I was like, hey Andy, you know, this company is really cool. I've gone over your digital stuff and it's really clear to me, you really don't know how to sell this. Um, so I've got some ideas for you and I just spit a bunch of, you know, you should be doing content marketing. And here's how it works. and Here's what a digital funnel looks like. And here's how to set one up. And you
0: you just call them and it's like, listen, I love it, but you're doing a shit job. Like I can tell this is not being maximized yet from a advertising sales perspective.
1: uh, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, of course I did it with the the deft smile and touch of love, but, but really that's the essence of my message to, to AP. But at the same time, like, you know, to Andy's credit, he was like, yeah, cool. I totally get that. And he was like, can you call me again? And so I called them the next Friday, and I think we talked four or five times. And uh, I probably just dished on him for about eight to ten hours. And then uh, Andy was like, hey, could you – I understand everything you're saying, but I don't have the capacity to do this. Can you just come do it? And I was like, well, you know, yeah, sure, make me an offer. And so he made me an offer. I flew out to L.A. I met with him and Michael, and I went on halftime. So I was doing my consulting and I was working with the whole life challenge halftime and I grew it so much so fast in terms of dollars that I couldn't keep up with what I, the monster I'd made. And we hired Becca Borowski, who some people will remember, you know, from back like 05, 06. Uh, She was very active at CrossFit LA. She was very active in the CrossFit scene. Hired her as our our editor. Uh, And then I hired a woman named uh, Nikki Grudadaria, who comes from uh, Livestrong and NBC Sports, to do a lot of our digital. And really, the three of us just grew the piss out of that business to the point where uh, Andy and I were having the full-time conversation. So when I disappeared and you were wondering where I was, I was the chief marketing officer of, of the whole life challenge.
0: Got it. And are you, are you still with whole life today?
1: Uh, no, I was uh, the CEO for the better part of a year. Uh, and then uh, we had a little bit of divergence in kind of how we would grow to the next stage. Uh, and we had a, hey, you know, a high five and a hug. And I, I went my way and uh, the whole life challenge has gone there. So.
0: Awesome. And then there was a period of time where there was a clip and it never got any attention until you brought it back to the world of Greg Glassman saying, somebody's going to come out one day and do more training with dumbbells. Cool shit with dumbbells. They're going to be more there. It's a harder implement. You unilaterally, you can't hide your weaknesses right to left like you can a barbell. And I remember that clip and that's like an 08, 09 clip. And then I see the dumbbell mission, I believe it was called, the DB yep. mission.
1: So we started with DB Wad. Okay. And that was really, that was like 2014. I ramped that project up and I got so busy with other projects that I literally shelved it. Yeah. Uh, and then I, you know, I was like, God, I love this idea. I still do. Stuart, by the way, like love what we're doing with Dumbbell Mission with my whole freaking heart. Uh, you can do more with a set of dumbbells than, listen, like the P90X wasn't very far off the mark. No, they That's were not like in terms of lack of intimidation, in terms of utility, in terms of functional movement, in terms of do it anywhere, in terms of no excuses, in terms of genuinely making you functionally stronger left to right, right, as you've mentioned, kind of making you uh, bilaterally stronger through unilateral movements. It's what, you know, I originally started thinking about it because Greg said that, obviously, but I started thinking about it because I was was working with a lot of gyms in, in really metro areas where the rent was stupid. Right. And if you wanted five, rent is 90% of the affiliate success equation initially. Correct. And, and so, We'd run, in, I'd run, I'd run into these affiliates that would be like, Yeah, my rent's fucking 10 grand a month. And I'd be like, You're fucked.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? The operational uh, capacity doesn't work out when a barbell's seven feet long. It's 125 square uh, feet You know, per person. And you think of the waste. You know, the average CrossFit affiliate, these guys that are watching, guys, next time you have a barbell out on your workouts, look at how much of that collar is wasted. Nobody's going edge to edge with the whole collar, but a dumbbell, 100% of the dumbbell gets utilized with the barbell. There's always leftovers, and it, that leaves for inefficiency on your gym floor when you have a tight space. Well, That's yeah, the,
1: literally yeah. square footage. The other thing is you can, you, can, you can hurt yourself doing a douchey clean with a barbell. Yeah, I would love to somebody to give me the report of the human being that hurt themselves doing a lightweight fucked up clean with a, yeah. with a fifteen pound dumbbell. Like that, it doesn't. I, no one will because it
0: just the, looks like a fucked up bicep curl, whatever. But you're still intact. You didn't break your
1: wrist. You know, you've got these huge margins of safety. You've got this huge efficacy of space. You've got this really inexpensive, if you order dumbbells in bulk, uh, kind of a way to move forward. And I'd say there were a lot of inputs into that. I mean, you know, we used to have people call us again, faster for gym packages. They'd be like, I want a set of five through 50 dumbbells. I'm like, no, you don't. Right. Yeah. Like. You want, you want 10 pairs of twenties and, yep. and 10 pairs of thirties and, you know, five pairs of fifties and, you know, and so this was just gestated for me forever. And what I was doing when I wasn't training. So I left seminar staff in 2013 and I love teaching people so much. Like it, it really drives the core of who I am. And I went back to the park, I went back to the I went back to the football field, I had a Tacoma, I still do have a Tacoma, go taco trucks. And I had that thing full of dumbbells and I'd go and I literally was training all my wife's friends at like 5.30 in the morning, none of whom were crossfitters, almost none of them, you know, in, in dumbbell training. And, and you know, it was great, none of them knew who I was, none of them cared, you know, I had the whiteboard out of the back of the truck and I was just teaching people how to do that and that was really the underpinning of DBWOD and then when I turned it into Dumbbell Mission with, uh, coach, coach rut helped me a lot with those things with programming. Uh, when I turned it into a dumbbell mission with Rutt, uh, I turned it into kind of a seminar and I ran that around for a little while. And again, uh, it kind of, it was a big passion project that kept dying because reality kept intervening and being like, Hey man, you know, I became the CEO of the whole life challenge. And they're like, hi, you have to run this company now.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're trying to fit 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. It was just trying to do too much at the time. Yeah. I love it. And you even see the revival. I mean, you know, I'm not sure much attention in, uh, to like what Marcus Philly's done with functional bodybuilding. You see a lot of dumbbell revival and even that. And he's obviously taken two words, which are just so fucking buzzworthy. It's the fact that no one else put those two words together and TM that a while ago. Is is the, um, I'm sorry, I'm not
1: familiar. What so that? he, uh,
0: functional bodybuilding. Oh, okay. Yeah. And just essentially just put that he's done, you know, that's, that's become very popular in, in a lot of the micro gym circles. But again, it's, essentially, it's just a revival of the dumbbell and how, you know, the versatility of this piece of equipment. And like you said, you know, the, the, uh, we were talking about the operational capacity. It's one of my biggest math equations. You know, we talk about the 10 general physical skills that CrossFit teaches. I think the 11 should be math. It should be your ability <laughs> to take the square footage divided by how much space your people take up. You know, revenue per class, all that, all that stuff. Oh, that. What
1: you're really talking about, I think, Stuart, is Fermi estimation. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you if you look up Fermi, F E R M I estimation, you'll you'll get a good education. You know, who else is doing it with the dumbbells now? Uh, is Miranda Oldroyd. Uh, Old yeah, e-
0: street parking.
1: Yeah, she's doing some cool shit with dumbbells too. Yeah, um, yeah, I love it. it. It still pops up in my mind. When I'm, uh, when I'm thinking of
0: things to do with my time. So, well, I'm going to get in that. Guys, by the way, any of you guys who have not clicked over to the chat feature, I've got the chat feature open. If you have questions, pump them through. John and me will address them. But, um, so, okay, that, so dumb, but all that. And now, now Dilson Consulting. And now we have this uh, Affiliate X, right? Which I love how your blog has made a character out of this, this unknown in the, you know, kind of say whichever gym this is you're working with. Mm-hmm. And if you guys have not been paying attention, John's been pumping out, these, uh, periodic pieces of content about his work with affiliate X and your most recent one. And I'd love if you kind of explained the thesis to anyone who's not, um, you'd have to read it a few times. Cause at first I think people get a little, could be like, wait, what is he? A lot of your stuff is really well written. And I, you know, and a lot of us aren't very smart. And so I think like, and so as you read through things, it's like, I gotta, let me go back and read that twice. Explain to me a little bit about this current project you're working on and the current content, the written content you're putting out.
1: Yeah, you got it. So Project X, uh, I have partnered with a gym uh, in the United States that I'm keeping them anonymous because a lot of the things we talk about are are, are fairly robust and deep about the performance of this gym. So I'm not including things like dollar figures, uh, but the overall thesis of this is that I can apply data science and data analysis combined with digital marketing and an understanding of what motivates human behavior in terms of buying and in terms of retention, to drastically improve the performance of an already tremendously successful. Uh, well, and so- is this like pattern recognition?
0: Is what a lot of it I'm seeing.
1: Uh, can you say a little bit more about so what pattern
0: you- recognition? So a lot of it is that you know, at what trigger points can we start predicting cancellations? At what you know, what kind of behaviors out mm-hmm. of a client? Which obviously there's so much subjective when it comes to cancellations, like you said. You know, I believe there's essentially you know five reasons somebody cancels. Geographical, money, I just don't like your thing anymore. I'm moving, I'm trying a different thing, whether Mm. it be schedule, injury. And and I think the last article, at least, you know, to my point or to the point I think you're trying to make was kind of what, you know, what indicators can we start looking for that might trigger us that, hey, this person is at risk.
1: Yeah. And if we can give you just a slightly bigger overall on project X, we're doing the digital funnel. We're going to do it all the way from ads, all the way through sign up, all the way through what happens in the gym for acquisition purposes, all the way to what are they being sold? what does the pricing model look like? And how is the pricing model rationalized? Uh, and then what we're doing now is we're looking at the current membership first. I think everybody focuses on selling. I want to focus first with almost every affiliate I work on is the product itself whole. Is it good or is it broken? And so what I did with Project X was we created a qualitative survey, a 31-question survey, to examine the attitudes, affects, and emotions about the people who are using the gym. But then we also are taking the data from their member management software, downloading it, and seeing where are the inconsistencies between the reported behavior and the actual behavior. And what you reference is an article about trying to find a leading indicator of when people quit everybody in their member management software. Uh, you know, and by the way, if you work for a member management software company and you want to talk to me, please do. Uh, I would love to hook you up with some deep knowledge that would be tremendous to get thousands of gyms to want to pay attention to you. Anyway, uh, they do things like say, okay, Stuart hasn't been to the gym for five days. You should probably call him. Right. They do things like now Stuart hasn't been in the gym for 14 days. Let's auto email Stuart. And I think it's bullshit to be blunt. And I think it's bullshit because it's akin to it's akin to watching your house burn down. Right. And, and then paying the rent. It's, it's akin to having your girlfriend shovel your shit in a trash bag, throw it out the second door story window onto the lawn and then apologizing to her. It's like, it, dude, it's too late.
0: Yeah. And in a micro gym, the one advantage we have over the larger box things is you're realistically going to have what a 200, maybe two feet, like you're gonna have this number and Dunbar's number being excluded because you ideally at that point have a staff that you can multiply your dumbbells, Dunbar's number across multiple people. It's able to be authentic and personal. This idea of automation for everything that you can just push a button and all the text messages and emails get sent out is something that drives me fucking insane. The whole benefit to this industry, we don't have the marketing budgets. We don't have the capital. We don't have the size. What we do have is the personal touch because the numbers, you don't need that many people, mm-hmm. right? And, and and I think that was one of, kind of where you were going with this is this idea that you're, you're going to blast them with a text message at that point. They've already crossed that Mendoza line. They're already be like they, they're not maybe beyond saving, but it's too late at that point. Those personal touch points probably should have been hit 30, you know, 30, 45, 60, 90 days ago.
1: And and I had a I had an epiphany, I had an insight while I was working on Project X, that I could take a couple of figures and I could figure out how dedicated someone was to the gym, and then I could examine their behavior against that dedication. So I said, what is the first in a in a ratio standpoint? What is the total number of classes available to someone and this gym has an unlimited membership and they have essentially a 12 pass you can come 12 times in a month Uh, and i i very much like that model but what i did was i said okay if someone has unlimited let's call their denominator 20 times that would be full commitment in my book somebody comes to the gym 20 times in a month right if they have a 12 pass well you bought a 12 pass let's call 12 full commitment right and so What I then did was I said, okay, I'm going to, for every member in here, I'm going to download their data from the back end of this member management software, and I'm going to see how many times out of that maximum they participated in. So it creates a a percentage, a percentage of involvement. And then what I did was I started running uh, that data against two figures. How long have they been a, a member of the gym, and what is their lifetime value to the gym? And what I found was astounding that, I mean, I was blown away when I ran these tables, that anyone who was using less than 40% of their available classes had a lifetime value that was nearly $1,300 less than anyone who wasn't using 80% of their classes, or wasn't that they were unlimited versus not unlimited, it's just that they were using more than 40% of their capacity, their lifetime value was about $4,200. And their average lifetime was 24 to 26 months. And then we looked at the people who were less than 40. Their average lifetime was 16 to 19 months. And their lifetime value was over $1,300 less than people who had done that. And I said, wow, do I have a leading indicator of participation value in lifetime now? Because if you connect the dots here, what you see is that somebody with a shorter lifetime, i.e. somebody who quit or is going to quit or is likely to quit, right, is someone who isn't using the gym to capacity. And, of course, that makes tremendous intuitive sense. How do you get fit if you don't come? The value proposition is to get fit. And so I need to, we're going to explore that further now and say, hey, let's get into all the historical data and see how this vibes with people quitting. But I have a suspicion, and a strong one, that it's not about whether somebody has moved from your three-time-a-week pass to your Unlimited or from your whatever to your whatever. It's not whether you've upgraded them. It's whether they're using you as they've elected to use you. And if they're not, the next question is, how do you keep them accountable for using it? And so this is the heart of Project X now. This is where the data has led us, is to say, I have a list now. Of 104 people of this 285 member affiliate, 104 people who are low dedication, less than 40%, I'm now going to introduce a peer-to-peer intervention accountability system. And we're going to see if we can create a way for these members to keep each other accountable for their attendance rather than us as the staff of the gym doing it, Uh, which Obviously, the idea that I would see 104 people who are low uh, attendance have 104 successful interventions from a coach to student form, it doesn't strike me as tenable. Uh, And so uh, pretty excited to educate them on how to keep each other accountable, how to get them to buy in and publicly declare their accountability, how to get when they miss on their accountability, not to give up on the goal. And so we're designing a system around that.
0: I think that's super because I think a lot of those stuff that doesn't get discussed enough is um, the psychology around that. The idea like, you know, F45 was one of the first ones that come out and be very specific. This is team training. You do things in in teams and partners, right? They do because with the size studios they have, they run 16 stations, two people at a station. So you have a teammate. And you go through it, right? And, and there is like every, you know, a lot of CrossFit gyms, something that's very stereotypical is a Saturday, bring a friend, like where the, maybe the workout is a little dialed down from the typical intensity and complexity of a CrossFit class, but maybe it's partnered up and it's a little bit more interactive. And a lot of days I'll talk to, I'll talk to Jim. like, see, so yeah, those are my, those are our highest attended classes. I'm like, does that ever make you scratch your head? Is there ever like that psychology component? The biggest killer to group fitness that nobody talks about is that Sally couldn't get Rebecca to come with her. The reason you haven't closed more memberships this month is because there is a person who's interested, but they couldn't get their friend to come with them. You have no idea, especially with group fitness, how much social pressure there is in that. And having an accountability buddy is huge. How many of you guys that are listening that run a promotion and someone comments and it's always, they tag, Sarah, let's do this. And in your head, you're like, well, fuck, if Sarah doesn't do this, this chick's not coming in. You know, that that level of accountability is absolutely huge. It's like mentorship that like what we talk about. Question on the membership side. You know, when we look at, you know, I think it's a very interesting indicator. If you were to take our EFT subscription-based business models that we're all in, right? And and respectfully so, that's the better business model to be in. But you just for a month, two months, three months switched everyone to PIF. All your members only paid when they showed up. How many guys would be like, oh shit right? Numbers work because we're on a subscription base, but if you're- and,
1: You know, into, it's funny that we've gone to the, the subscription is a shortcut for the failure of the product.
0: Correct. Correct.
1: Right. And the original philosophy, and a lot of people still hold this philosophy is I shouldn't charge. I shouldn't charge on subscription. I should charge month to month because if we're good, they'll come back. And you're right, but you're not better than human frailty. We had this, uh, as an aside, we had this chart- at the whole life challenge, we would chart over 42 days, uh, how many people scored themselves because that's a basic measure of accountability, right? I, I logged into the app and I put my score in there. And uh, it was amazing that the, uh, the slope, the R function of that line across literally years. So four challenges a year, I had something like six years of data on this thing. The slope of that line never changed, never changed. It was a 7% month, uh, sorry, week to week decline in commitment to a 42-day thing so we were losing right somewhere on the realm of a 16th to a 17th of the population for every true iteration of this thing over six weeks and we called it the declining slope of human commitment and if you think about your own line your own life you're going to see that there are a lot of declining slopes of human commitment 100 i wonder i wonder if that that our equation maps to like divorce and, and enrolling in community college and, you know, like yeah. online courses. Um, but the idea that we need to go back to here is that the subscription business model is necessary to overcome that slope, but you should be doing as an affiliate owner or as a gym owner or as any kind of business owner, any kind of business owner, everything in your power to change the slope of that line. And
0: the EFT, that's why uh, SoulCycle is such an interesting business case for me. And I'm very intrigued by them because they're not an EFT. They did what they did and they're solely pith. You pay painful for everything. So they have to, they know they're just one bad class experience, ride, whatever, from someone not using the rest of it. And there is, like a lot of us are paying $8.99 or $14.99 a month for some credit checking app that we never use. There is a line where if your subscription is under that dollar value, you let it go by the wayside and you can, you know, that, the, the, the frailness of your interest in it is really a moot point because we don't think of it as that expensive. When we get into the price or where the price should be for a micro gym, we're talking 150, 200 some dollars a month. Now that's something where someone is, even if it seems slightly less convenient, ideal, result driven, whatever it is, you're on the chopping block and attendance being the number one indicator. Because even if the results are coming, attendance means I'm making time for something else. Maybe it's studying, maybe it's my new boyfriend, maybe it's my kid, maybe it's my new love for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, whatever the hell it may be. But they're just saying there's only 24 of these units in a day, you used to get one and a half of them, because I would stick around and socialize, but something else has happened, and I am now giving my time the non-renewable resource to something else
1: well and you know we say hey let's create let's create the stickiness in the gym yeah. by having excellent coaching sure uh, let's create the stickiness in the gym by having clean floors and clean bathrooms and amenities and have it be a nice well-lit happy place to be yep. let's also keep it great by broadcasting positivity and optimism from all of our staff at all times right yep. but we also need to consider the psychological impact of somebody else's counting on me. And if oh, you're yeah. creating someone is counting on me, you're not going to overcome that declining slope of human commitment.
0: 100%. So when you see that, is this something where staff has to really look at who's like, for example, a good coach on that partner workout day knows who to partner with who? Right. Like, you know, not even just physical, like this guy's really tall, this this guy's short. They're not good partners to ride an assault bike together. Right. Not even that. But I mean, like this person goes at this pace and is this kind of person, like pairing up psychological, you know, psyches and uh, personality styles. Is that kind of like deep? like is that kind of the deep level you guys are thinking of this as well?
1: We're thinking about it first as making sure we have time match. So if, uh, and first getting declaration of individual intent. So when I say declaration of individual intent, what I mean is I'm John, I'm going to be here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 30 a.m. Step one, I need everyone's declaration of individual intent because then I have something to hold you accountable against. It's not just did you come 12 times last month because that feedback loops too short. If I'm looking at April and saying, Oh, Hey Stuart, you only came 11 times last month. You could have come 12. You'd be like, Cool, what do I do? But if the feedback loop is tremendously short, I have the advantage now of being able to match you with someone who's made a similar individual declaration and has a similar capacity for functional exercise. And this is the hope. Will I'm going to then bring them in. We're going to bring them in. And we're going to train those people who say, I by the way, the survey, the number one reason people came to wanted to come to the gym, the number one reason they joined the gym. You want to take a guess just for fun?
0: Social, not physical?
1: Uh, nope. They wanted to work out more. They wanted to work out more. That's the sole declaration. I want to work out more. So this this gym population told us this. We're going to go to them and say, your number one answer to why did you join this gym is I want to work out more. Well, we're going to help you, right? We're going, yeah. to-, we're going to time match you and we're going to physical skill match you and then we're going to train you in how to keep each other accountable. So for instance, goal setting gets blown out of the water as soon as you fuck up. Right. And everybody who's ever been on like a a high quality diet who then has three nights of binging and never goes back to the diet knows exactly what I'm talking about. So what we want to train those those athletes to do is to when I say, hey, Stuart, we're accountability buddies and I can't be there on Monday because life. Right. Your response is cool. What day are you going to come instead? I'll switch my schedule as well right and can we can we come up with ways to keep them accountable but to keep them maneuvering around contingencies and i think if we can this is completely speculative by the way this may not work for shit but we're going to keep the data yeah. uh, and if it works we're going to we're going to hopefully try and inject it into the community and anything yeah, Go the brilliance of it from my standpoint is just that it's not on you the owner to do anything other than make it happen
0: I, so I'm a big fan of people discuss different and ignore average, right? When you were going over like the floors being clean, the gym being nice, the coaching being competent, the programming being good. These are all things people come to expect. We can't hang our hat on. I do a good job as a gym owner because I do all these things. That's that's expected. I expect American Airlines planes not to fall out of the fucking sky. They don't get a, a good Google rating because I got home safely. But what you're talking about in kind of creating this thing that sounds like a different conversation. Well, when you join this gym, you will be teamed up with like, you know, like when I, if I purchase from a vendor B2B purchase, I might have an account rep and that account rep is my person. And I have a little bit of, you know, you know, you didn't order your fit aid this week, or you need to buy more of this. Like essentially that's kind of what we're doing is pairing people up to what's already happening. Again, go to the YMCA this weekend, guys, there's dudes that text each other all week as to what time they were going to meet to go work out, to go lift weights at the Y it's already happening. And think of the crazy shit CrossFit gyms can get people to do five weeks. I need you to show up here every Friday. I need you to give up your Friday for five weeks. I need you to pay $20 for this thing. And I need you to be your Oh, And, and on the second Friday, dress up funny, like a, a fucking power Rangers character. And you're going to be on the Like all the things people were able to get people to do in the wave of community events, I think as you're talking about it, I, I do think it's brilliant. I, I love the play of psychology. Not how do I sell them a new sup? How do I sell more of this? It's how do I get them to just do more of what they already do? Like friendships happen. That's the thing that's hard. Word of mouth, nobody has a system for that. Like this is a system. You can create a digital lead funnel like that. Sure. But a word of mouth operational installation of something that it guarantees word of mouth is very few businesses have it. And the ones that do, like my favorite quote is, marketing is a tax paid by the unextraordinary. Those who don't create an extraordinary experience have to market because people won't talk about anything unless it's absolutely extraordinary, which is where CrossFit exploded because it was extraordinary. Past the buck now to where we are in 2019, it just kind of seems status quo with everything that's out
1: there. Uh, And it is because the brilliance of CrossFit was so profound that everyone else adopted it. You know, When I started the AF project, I was being recruited by gold's gym to become their national fitness director. And my answer was go fuck yourself. But that was the question on the table was, you know, Hey, we'll pay you, you know, frankly, a lot of money to basically help us steal functional fitness from CrossFit, yeah. you know, and, uh, that bled over to everywhere. That's what F45 is.
0: Everything is constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. Now, we can argue functional left and right, but I would bottom line is it's all the same thing.
1: But I think what your point is, uh, at least as I'm interpreting it, is it's not enough to do what you've been told to do. You now have to think, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here a little bit, you now have to think from first order principles. What do I want these human beings to do? Okay, cool. Figure that out first. Then say... What are the possible ways that I could get them to do it with an understanding, my own understanding, of human behavior? And instead we say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are we doing? And it's good to crowdsource your ideas, but we become an echo chamber of this is the only good idea. You know, uh, witness, beginner on ramps. I don't think those are a tremendously good idea. Frankly, I understand why they exist, but I don't think they're a good idea you know, uh, witness the proliferation of, we don't do personal training here. It's not what we do. Is it a good idea? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Right. Uh, and what I do Stuart and what I would encourage everyone to do, every, everyone on the planet is step back and reason from the, if someone was going to try to get me to do this, what would they need to do? what would what would i want to see you know what would i want to have happen i I have a i have a client uh who runs a program that connects olympians uh with youth and mentors them and of course working with olympians as as a consultant is like you know the dream come true but i i even with these guys i'm saying what would you love to have happen like before you call that kid wouldn't it be cool if the kid got a text and said hey you have a call with your Olympian XYZ in an hour and here's what you guys talked about last time and here's how to get your mind ready for what's happening in the hour she's like yeah that would be great I'm like cool you can build that this is what that looks like right and it's it's more about what do you want to have happen, and then the root of making it happen. And what we do instead is we conflate those ideas. and We say, I want this to happen, and this must be the only way it happens because this is how they do this in all the major CrossFit gyms or all the major gyms, and therefore I'm going to put these two ideas together and I'm going to try and implement this. And by the way, when I implement it, I'm not going to be thinking about those first sort of principles. I'm going to be thinking about the paint-by-numbers Lego set of putting this thing together, and then I'm going to fucking wonder why it doesn't work. And then John Gilson jumped off his giant soapbox.
0: No, no, that's but that's that's why we're here. So as you're looking at it and we've seen the rise and obviously, you know, I, I, I love being a historian of the industry we're in. Like you see again, obviously you go uh, Simmons and Fonda and Gold's gym rise and curves. Like curves, like people like looking into the history of that company is actually very insightful as a micro gym owner. And you see CrossFit and now you see Peloton which is Simmons, you know, 2.0. And like everything comes in cycles. With where you see the current guys, you know, and, I, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, so on my street within uh, less than a mile of me, there's Barry's Bootcamp, Orange Theory, F45, Urban Movements, CrossFit South Ends, all these, all these things around. Where, where's your opinion as you're kind of, because I'm assuming CrossFit clientele is the majority, is that the, the majority of the work, like affiliates uh, for consulting?
1: Like in terms of sheer client count, yes. In terms of time spent, no.
0: Okay. Where do you, like, what's your opinion on things as they sit now, you know? And, and you know, I'm sure you get this asked this question asked a lot. I do. And it's, I kind of dislike the question. It's fun to try to play. We're not Nostradamus. But where do you see, like, if you're sitting here now opening up and let's say you're not console, you're going to go open up your own thing. What does that look like? Does it still look like CrossFit of what you knew previously of 2008, you know two thousand eight? Does it look something more organized and high tech and smaller footprint? What does this look like if John if it has ten million dollars just to play build a build a micro gym? John, go for it.
1: <laughs> cool. Uh, if you've got ten million dollars and you want to talk, <laughs> so okay, the future of fitness is connected fitness, and the reason is that, and I don't mean what your Fitbit says, or what your Whoop says, or what your Aura Ring says, or what you put in my fitness belt. What I mean is that we have, for the first time, seen the advent of the ability to put community and accountability in a uh, one-to-many format, outside of brick and mortar. So if you look at the overall trend in how the world is working right now, brick and mortar is becoming more and more and more obsolete in favor of the delivered virtually, i.e., right? You don't go to Target, you order shit on your phone. It shows up at your front door. What, peloton has done is they have said okay you've got a hurdle you busy person have to negotiate with your husband every morning who's going to take care of the kids so you can go to the crossfit gym that was a source of friction in your relationship let's get rid of that here's a peloton bike and on that bike you will still feel accountable you will feel community you will feel motivation right and i've gotten on their their tread product they're running phenomenal like it's amazing experience it's a beautiful piece of industrial design UX and ui right? User experience and user interface, spot on, except trying to give somebody a high five while you're running by hitting a touchscreen. Guys, give me a button. What the fuck? But other than that, right, what we're seeing now is the movement towards exactly that. So the question should be, I'm in brick and mortar because that's where 99% of the people who are going to listen to this are. I'm in brick and mortar. What do I do? And the answer is, how can you leverage available and off-the-shelf technology and media to create more accountability, community, and motivation within your box? And how can you report back to people on their progress? So check this out. One idea. Feedback loops are too long. All of them. All feedback loops on progress are too long. I.E., I'm going to put you on the in-body and do your body measurements once every three months. Too long, right? Uh, I'm going to tell you to push your knees out when they go in when you squat, perfect. Okay, so the question becomes, how do I take the markers of macro progress and break them down into a micro format that I can deliver to you instantly? You are doing better than last time. I want you to look at things like the ghost car in Gran Turismo. I want you to look at your C2 monitor. I want you to hit it till you see the pace boat. And I want you to think about how would I deliver to someone? Not, hey guys, look in your journal. What's the last thing you back squatted? Okay, set a PR. Stuart, your last back squat was three twenty-five. You were coming off uh, a fatigue cycle today. Instead of doing that max back squat, which you're probably not going to PR, I want you to do it eighty percent, and then we're going to try your max in two weeks. Yeah. Right, on this day. Instant okay. inputs. Instant inputs, and there, it's possible with someone who's forward thinking enough and frankly, who has embraced data science, who has embraced media and who has embraced technology. And when I say technology, what I really mean is the beauty of the UX, UI, where I can show you something that you instantly comprehend. not, it's not compli- This is where a lot of the management software goes off the rails, by the way. These graphs are too complicated. These outputs are too complicated, and they don't contain the right information. But somebody who understands UX, UI, graphic design, and technology to the point where they can drive a recommendation algorithm that makes this frictionless, not only for the client, but for the coach coaching that person. You're gonna win. You're gonna fucking win because bricks and mortar is better than a Peloton. It is better than a a treadmill. It's better than any Connected Fitness thing that's going to come out if it can get executed. But what we have to do is instead of saying CrossFit 08 is the right way or Peloton is the right way is to look, and if you look at the, the logo of Gilson Consulting, you'll see it's just a Venn diagram. It's this idea of what do you already know what 's in the intersection of what you already know that would be novel and solve first order principles, and if you can find that, that 's what I would do with ten million dollars
0: and you see this you know um, you know with the the Tesla iPad station on you know the inside and you see all the orange theories all eleven hundred now are going to flip, you step on to your treadmill, it knows who you are, knows the last time you came in, it's gonna know what you ran last time, it knows whether you're at we they have three paces you go at. It's it's absolutely again, it's faster everything is getting faster. Now, personal relationships, I and I, I. my guess is you're probably on the same boat as I am. We're not going to be, we're not going to replace, like brick and mortar and nightclubs aren't going away because people still want to work out with other people and sweat and men will kill for points and that whole glass of code. And you're still going to go to a nightclub to try to meet someone and bang on Tinder. Like that stuff is not going away. Like even with VR, like I still think that interpersonal relationship is not going away. However, though, the, the gamification, you know, the feeling you get when you get a like on a video you made, right, or someone, you know, comments on a photo of your kid, those inputs and, you know, um, Cooper put out a, a really good article on this, maybe, a few, I don't know, six, seven, eight months ago about looking at uh, companies like Strava right? Which is the endurance app and you can, and there's a great level of gamification in there and instant inputs and things like that. And I do, I I think like Tonal and the mirror, these are two companies that if you've looked at the mirror, it's literally just a giant mirror, you get led and there's someone in front of you telling you how many reps you did and good job. And those things are super early in beta, right? I don't think that's what it looks like you know, long-term, but what you're talking about is a hundred percent. I, you know, I, I'm really big. I, am not a, an on-ramp guy. I'm a PT first guy. I like doing one-on-one coaching to get someone into something like CrossFit. But I, while I believe multiple revenue streams outside of group membership only have to exist, I think digital is going to become a revenue stream that every brick and mortar has to embrace at some point. Some At some point, you have to have a digital element to what you have. Mm-hmm. I believe there's an opportunity to save cancellations by keep Sally on a $15.99 a month EFT where she can access this app and still do your workouts with maybe a dumbbell and a yoga mat or an ab mat or something like that in her house.
1: Sure. And I think we, you know, um, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'd like to question one of your assumptions, which is people working out with people working out is always going to continue. The nightclub and the brick and mortar, like what? And it's not that it's not, but I, what I would pose is the following: If you knew that wasn't the case, and brick and mortar was in mortal danger, and I'm being hysterical now, but this is a thought experiment. If brick and mortar was in mortal danger, and you owned one, what would you do? And instead of instead of pondering that over beers, start fucking doing it. It's great. It's it, it, you know. It's I got a chance to interview her as a
0: local girl in Charlotte. She just she was a trainer, boot camp instructor, and she went online and she has a YouTube channel now, over a hundred thousand subscribers, and she just posts a daily workout where she does the entire thing with you live. Women, you know, she, the, the amount of money she makes as an individual with just the digital overhead. And when you just have this, you know, she has a little studio and it, it paid like, and from seeing CrossFit gym owners, if I were to show them what she's making as a one human being publishing one workout a day, I, they would, it would make them very depressed. It would be an upset, it'd be a sad scenario, but the digital opportunity doesn't mean like, well, fuck, I don't have uh, the Tombas group or a VC backing me to make a, to make an NC fit app or a Peloton app. I don't think it even needs to start there. I mean, look at again. Go. Let's go back to where we started this podcast. The Mike Instructor. That was you guys probably with a very. Low, there was a low budget creation back in the day when putting online content was not what it is today by any means. Blackberries and all.
1: You beat with us. Yeah. This. My yeah. phone was a Blackberry. You couldn't put a video on no, it. No, 100%. And so when you,
0: you think of it now and, you know, it just was you do. And I think there's guys out there that have some ideas. And I think you could bootstrap some of this on a private YouTube channel. Just the early stages of it. I think you could bootstrap some kind of lead functional fitness thing and you just start fucking with it. Because the nice thing about it, everyone's going to copy and it's all going to go, right? Like Amazon two-day shipping, everyone has it now. Then they had one day shipping. Everyone's got it now. They'll be the first to drone shipping and then everyone will get it. But you'll have more practice with it. You'll always be a step ahead of everybody. It's why there's no such thing. There's no such thing as an original idea. Just all a 2.0 of something else. What else, you know, okay, I like that question. I, I love that answer. As you sit here with the people, the gyms you're working with and all these guys, what is a piece of advice that, like when you're looking at what people are still doing wrong, and let's just talk specifically in the CrossFit affiliate scene, what is a thing that you're still like, I can't believe you're still doing that. Did nobody send you the fucking memo? That is an outplayed business practice. Like, what are you thinking?
1: Uh, I see a lot of non-commitment based membership. Uh, probably the thing that I'm on with the vast majority of my clients because I, I, I've got I've had to like I, I feel like a broken record. I should record a video and send it to all of them and be like, you're getting a free session today. Um, pricing and time duration based models that are not goal oriented are impossible to sell effectively but people try and sell them anyway let me give you an example uh, a month of membership is 200 bucks right a uh single a personal training session is 89 dollars. okay what am i selling you there nothing I'm selling you time It's not that you can't sell those things It's that they need to be done in a value-based manner. So I've got my consulting clients. They don't offer personal training hours. They offer personal training packages, not of sessions of months, three months of personal training is $1,200. Here's what's in a personal training package, right? Once a week, an hour with the coach, two additional program sessions and a macro calculator, And your subscription to my fitness bell, right? That is a value solution because when somebody comes in, I'm not selling them that package. I'm selling them whatever they wanted. So we teach goal-based interviewing. Why are you here? And we're all very familiar with this, I'm sure, but nobody's doing it. Like nobody's doing it. You know, why are you here? And then asking the why and then asking the why and finding out that Stuart's here to get ripped. And okay, Stuart, let me establish your expectations as to how to get ripped. I need to get your show up muscle I need to do that for several months. Then I'm going to teach you about nutrition. Here's how I'm going to keep you accountable for it. All of that will take three months and that's going to be $1,200. Do you want to be ripped in three months? And now I'm selling you something that's worth a damn, but we don't do that. We try and say, I'll sell you an hour of my time. And that's, I, I don't do that in my business. I don't sell you an hour of my time, right? I sell you six months of my time or none of my time. And I view that idea as completely applicable to everything you sell in the gym. Value-based pricing. Understand why they're buying it and don't sell them a micro solution that they can't connect to their macro desire. Sell them a solution that is exactly matched to their desire.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. It's it's interesting. When we get into pricing, I in what you just opened there, I feel like we could do an entirely separate podcast on it. I had a 1,000 thoughts come to my head i think one of the things when thinking about pricing is also breaking it down i think a lot of times and you remember the days where the biggest what do you bench question was how many members you have right where that that vanity metric was a big thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: one of the things in pricing i'm curious your thoughts on it when when talking with the gym owner where should my pricing be this like you know this is how much i charge per month i always try to zoom in a little bit more like okay you might let's say you have the, you had the, the example of the two options so let's say you have eight 12 and unlimited and let's call it limited the 20 sessions per month, whatever it may be. When we break those down per class, generally, eight times a month will make you more money per class than 12 times a month. 12 times per class, 12 times a month will make you less, and then the unlimited will make you the least. And if you have a set operational capacity, you know, you have a 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 square foot gym, you know how many people you fit in that class. If you got the pick Which one of these memberships would you actually want everybody on? Probably that eight times a month, where it's a smaller monthly number, but the revenue per class is higher. And because otherwise that what's the route you have to go? You gotta go back to a globo gym economic. Well, what if they don't show up? Now my revenue per class is really high. Mm -hmm. And I, when I look at a lot of the math models that are out there and math is much more your strong suit than mine. And that is, I think that's one of the things that just jumps out in some of your videos that you have this TI 83 for any of you fucking guys of my age that know what that is in your brain. You move.
1: (laughs) So I must be older than you because I had a (laughs) TI (laughs) 82.
0: But it moves at a much different level. And one of the things I constantly see in the, this micro gym industry is the lack of knowledge. Like, MindBody, Zen Planner and Wattify don't limit you on how many credit cards you can charge. You can charge a million credit cards a month. They don't care. You're limited on how many people you can fit into your class in an hour. And if you're a barbell model like a CrossFit model, that is a very limited number unless you have a crazy huge space. And in metropolitan areas in a 2019 econo- economy, that is tough. And breaking it down per do you ever, I mean, is that yeah, something
1: I have a I have a slightly different take on it. Yeah, let's <laughs> hear. So I had an experience where I grew a company in literally two years from 4 million to seven and a half million to $12 million in revenue and got yelled at by my board of directors, my investors yelled at for underperforming. And at that point I was like, we're all rich. What the fuck are you talking about? And so what I started teaching affiliates, because that was so profound for me is you need a finish line. You need to know what you want your P and L to look like. It doesn't, if you pursue profit maximization and that's it, you are going to be disappointed. That is a treadmill to human misery. I know because I stood on it. It's and a
0: staircase part, to nowhere.
1: It's a staircase. Yeah, there's no finish line. It's, sure. a, it's as if I said, okay, we're going to run a race to it. I'll tell you when it's over.
0: Yeah, because you, you can always be more efficient, at, at, especially at a boardroom.
1: Yeah, you know, to get back to what you're saying, I have them set a PL goal. What do expenses look like? What does, what does revenue look like? What does end profit look like? Will you truly be satisfied with that number? Because this is really important that the answer is yes. Now let's backfill into that p What would we need to do to create a pricing model that would fulfill that reality in terms of percentage, personal training, percentage, right? Uh, group training. And so I rely on a metric that isn't about maximization. It's about average revenue per client per month. And I actually would much prefer a model of people being involved, being involved enough to get the results that they want. Okay, the thing, my problem with the idea of coming to a gym eight times a month is those would ha- you'd have to be doing something else, and those would have to be hella good fucking sessions for you to get fit if that was the only thing you were doing. In fact, that's not really that's not really possible. I mean, you know, from my view as a coach. And so my question is, how often do you have to come to have a regular? fitness protocol that number of times shrinks as your nutritional protocol increases right but what you really have to ask yourself is what membership not is going to maximize my profit what membership is going to do two things what membership is going to get the clients the results that they came here to get and is going to allow me to create that PO and if you answer those two questions you'll have your word of mouth thing because you'll get every one of your clients the results they want Right, you have to create that. Create the product that gets that and fulfills the financial equation. In my opinion, if you want to get into profit maximization, you can. Uh, and there are people with different temperaments than me, so the idea that you shouldn't is my opinion, not a fact. Uh, but uh, that that way lies misery.
0: <laughs> no, I, I hear you. No, I, I love that. We got a question from Matt here, and I was actually this is I'm glad he brought this up. We were talking you were talking about incentives earlier and getting people in the gym. Do you believe there is an economic model out there where you get penalized the less you come to the gym? Your membership actually can go down the more you come? That kind of thing? Like there's a basement kind of scenario where you still make what you need? And Matt, I apologize if I'm butchering this, but that's essentially what I think he's asking.
1: So there was a gym, look up the study, a little bit of Googling, will get you there. I think it was in Copenhagen. There was a gym in Copenhagen that tried this model. And they made like international news. For trying a model where your dues are, I'm making this up, your dues are $150 a month, but every time you attend, that number goes down by five bucks and we'll charge you 10 Right? Uh, I love that model. I, lo- I love the economic model. In fact, uh, I'm working with a company and I can't say anything about it other than, frankly, we're looking at that as part of not the entire, but part of the value proposition of usage, because in the case of that business, they have an, they have a digital ability for an infinite number of users, which takes a lot of the risk off of that model, frankly. Uh, But I love that model. And I would love if you've got the balls, Matt, fuck. Yeah. Like do it, man, do it. Let's see it. Show me, show me, do it data. Show me.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting experiment. You know, if you sat there and you like, all right, well, what would it, if I inflated the price and I had a basement, like this is the bare minimum I need to make on a monthly membership and I inflate it up and then reward attendance. Could I make something like that happen? And yeah, I think it's interesting. You look at like a Mark Bell's super gym, right? Like it's in California. I'm pretty sure that's a free gym for everybody. And I don't know if he has any kind of incentive baked into it, but I'm sure there's, I'd be interested to see what the culture's like when nobody has to pay. Are people better about cleaning up and picking their fucking, you know, their smelling salts off the ground and cleaning their blood off the barbell and all that stuff? Or do people treat free like free? You know, like, and I think there's an entire psychology and opportunity there. But yeah, it's, it's it, you know, again, going back to that, if we had $10 million, I would love to just fuck around with different models that have never, and just like, if there was no loss, like, ah, the money's gone, we failed, whatever, and, and giving things a try. And that's the one thing I really respect the fuck out of you on. And, and even like when I saw the dumbbell, like mission, and I saw it come up, and I saw it go, I was like, he's probably doing something, but this guy is constantly messy. He's constantly just fucking around with different things in the fitness industry. And that gives you such a breadth and depth of knowledge and experience to speak mm-hmm. from. And I think a lot of times, a lot of entrepreneurs are really looking for surefire things, which in my opinion, that doesn't exist. That's a unicorn. And I love, I love talking with guys who are, I'm going to play around with everything. And I realize a win or a loss here is just one little notch on the entire belt of this thing that I will do with the remain, the, the, my whole life.
1: And it's a trope. But you, you, know, you want to understand that failure is not permanent. And failure is also uh, where you learn everything. when I was when CrossFit was growing and I was selling CrossFit equipment, I was a bad manager, hard stop. I was a good salesman. I was a good trainer, and I was basically a self-centered shithead. And the reason I was all of those things is because, It was working. I must be a golden god. Look at all this money pouring in over the transom, right? And but the reality is, is I did a lot of things really badly and I could have done a lot of things a lot better. Uh, and through that declining, through seeing all these entrants come into, you know, I mean, there was this period in 2013, 14 where there was a new equipment company every 34 seconds. I mean, you guys saw the ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. And, but they, you know, all they had to do was come take 2% of the market and 2% of the market and 2% of the market and be hyper local. And it hurt a lot, you know, and it was like, all of a sudden you're not so smart, are you pal? Uh, and I learned a lot about how to be a good manager, how to be a good person, how to think from first order principles instead of taking things for granted, how to question assumptions and think critically. Um, one of the things I'm most excited about, Stuart, is the Reboot Foundation. Uh, Reboot Foundation is dedicated to teaching adults to think critically. They just launched, uh, check it out, RebootFoundation.org. Are you directly related to it? I have nothing to do with it. I'm a super fan. I'm mentioning it because I'm not excited about it. I'm also super excited about what Tim Berners-Lee is doing with Web 3.0. Check out his his solid project if you want to see where personal data is going and you want to get ahead of this curve instead of reacting to it. but uh, yeah, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I will, I'm going to keep experimenting. I got a job offer yesterday from a company uh, to help with a connected fitness uh, scenario where I'm likely to take the job and we will probably learn a hell of a lot about why Peloton actually works.
0: Awesome, brother. John, man, I appreciate you taking the time today. This was uh, this was awesome. And uh, guys, if er, John, if anyone is still like, maybe they, again, they were not following along with
1: Project X, where
0: can they learn more about it? Where can they reach out to you if they want to talk to Gilson Consulting?
1: Yeah, uh, gilsonconsultinggroup.com.
0: Simple enough, guys. And I'm going to go ahead and link that out in the show notes. And then, um, and I'm assuming the blog is right there for Project X.
1: Yeah. It's, a, it's in the main nav. So there's a hamburger there on the top left. If you click it, the hamburgers, the three horizontal lines are four now, I guess. Click that sucker and it says project X.
0: Phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. John, this was a pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Everyone that was listening in, thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll be talking with you soon.